Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg. At least a tenth of the world's mature giant sequoia trees were destroyed by wildfires last year. That's in a draft report from the National Park Service. We'll talk about what losing the giants means for the Southern Sierra and California's future. And then more than 100,000 people are currently awaiting a kidney transplant, a wait that can last as long as five years or more. That's why many patients are seeking a living kidney donor. We'll talk about what it takes to become a donor and weigh the risks and rewards of donating an organ. That's next on Forum right after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg. Scientists estimate up to 10,000 giant sequoia trees burned down last year. Trees that have survived thousands of years of wildfires. That's from a National Park Service draft report on the Castle Fire's damage. That's 10 to 14 percent of the world's sequoia trees. We'll talk about whether the giants can survive climate change. And we want to hear from you. What questions do you have about the giant majestic sequoias? How does this news hit you? Give us a call at 1-866-733-6786. That's 1-866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED forum, or you can email your questions the old-fashioned way to forum at kqed.org. We're now joined by Christy Brigham, Chief of Resources Management and Science at Sequoia and Kings National Park, and Paul Ringel, Chief Program Officer with Save the Redwoods League. Thank you both so much for joining us. Christy, I want to start with you. The photos that I saw in the news that was released over the last few days were completely heartbreaking. Describe what it's like down in the Southern Sierras after the burns, after the fires last year. Thanks, Leslie. And first, I want to just thank you so much for having Paul and I on to talk about this with the public and with your listeners. We really appreciate the opportunity. It's devastating, Leslie. When you walk in these groves, um, you know, I cry. Uh, (laughs) Mm. 
embarrassing, but uh, true. It's, it's really heartbreaking to be among these giants that have survived so many previous fires, so many other changes to the landscape and have now been killed so abruptly. Um, when you walk among their blackened husks and see how big and large they were and how far off the ground their branches were that were completely incinerated, it really brings home that this is a new kind of fire and is gonna take collective action to save the remaining old sequoias. So it, it's, a tough, it's a tough situation down here, Leslie. I saw some journalists describe it as a moonscape. Is, is that a word that sounds accurate? It really does. And, and certainly I, I don't wanna be overly dramatic. There are large parts of that fire, of the castle fire that burned at lower severity that look really good, that will be good for the sequoias growing there and the rest of the forest. But in these really hot areas, it is terrifying. Um, there's The soil is black. In some of the, the groves, there's nothing on the ground. There's no seedlings. Um, in other areas, there are plants growing back. These forests are resilient, the trees are resilient, but certainly some of the areas that I've been in are moonscapes right now. Have you ever seen any kind of this kind of damage before to these kinds of trees from past fires? I have not. And talking to other scientists um, who study sequoias, what we're the consensus that we are coming to is that before 2015, um, which was the tail end of our hot drought, as you know, here in California, we did not see this kind of fire. And that is in 2015 and the rough fire is when we first saw some large, very large sequoias that were killed by fire. As you know, these are incredibly fire adapted trees. They're very resilient. You don't live to be 2000 years old, years old by, you know, giving up. <laughs> They're really tough. So yes, this is a new phenomenon and a new kind of fire. What does that say about the future for these trees? So if we're burning a lot hotter, these fires have lived or these trees have lived for thousands of years. How different are the fires that are burning through now? And what does that mean for the trees future? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think we don't fully know the answer. But for me, it means two things. First, it's a call to action. You don't give up on 2000 year old trees. Yes, it is shocking, heartbreaking, devastating that we lost 10 to 14%. But does that mean we give up on the other 90%? No, we double down, we work harder, we get together as a community, we work on forest health, we thin, we burn, we get out there, we work with our tribal partners, we all band together. And as a society, the second thing it means to me is, this is a wake up call, climate change is not in the future, it's now, and it's hurting things we care about, people, communities, these trees. So let's get it together and work together to implement as many solutions as quickly as possible. Paul, I want to bring you into the conversation here. For those folks who maybe haven't been down to Sequoia to see these groves of trees, describe what it's like when they're, when they're healthy or describe this area. What is it like? I mean, you've dedicated your career to, to these trees. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about I find them incredibly, almost spiritual. Sure, Leslie. Yeah, I, I, as as somebody who has worked in conservation for my entire career, I have to say that that you know the feeling that you get when you encounter a 
grove giant sequoia is just it's so unique uh you know we we work at, at the league we work across both ranges of redwoods you know both coast redwoods and giant sequoia each is magnificent in their own right but the the thing that i find so intriguing about giant sequoia is how you encounter them when you're in the forest you don't you don't wander through miles and miles of of these groves they they come up they come up at you they're they're small they're isolated and they're magnificent these are among the largest living creatures on the planet uh and the longest living creatures on the planet it's uh just incredible to the, the feeling that you have when you're when you're in these groves and um just to, to see what's happened in, in the past several years you know uh, uh both uh, the the castle fire and and several years of fire that preceded it, it as Christy said, it's it's certainly a call to action, and and I think we 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 pride ourselves on having uh, worked with our partners for uh, you know the past almost hundred years, uh, you know starting in the '30s to permanently protect these groves by placing them in public ownership, preventing uh, subdivision uh, logging, but. I, it's clear that that the, the missing the missing ingredient in the permanent protection of these groves is to manage them for resilience, particularly with the, the significant changes that we're seeing in terms of the you know the, the climatic conditions and the conditions on the ground. We're talking about this week's devastating news that last year's Castle Fire destroyed about 10% of California's giant sequoias with Christy Brigham. She's head of resources management at Sequoia in Kings Canyon National Parks and Paul Ringgold with Save the Redwoods League. We want to hear from you. What questions do you have about the giant sequoias and how is this news hitting you? Give us a call now at 1-866-733-6786. That's 1-866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or you can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Paul, I'm I'm curious, will they ever come back? I mean, this is thousands, these are thousands of trees that take thousands of years to grow, and this is the only place on earth that they exist. Are they gone forever? Yeah, the ones that have have died in the fire are gone forever, but each of those has you know, left legacies in the, the form of the, the cones that, that, that drop out of the trees, the seedlings that come back following these fires. Uh, one very jarring concern that we have, and it's indicated in some of the, the photos that, that many of the viewers have seen, the moonscape that was referred to earlier, is that in some of these areas, in the very high severity burn areas, the, the, the fire was so intense that it burned the seeds the cones, uh, and, and really there's a real you know, significant concern that there will not be natural regeneration. And so what we're doing already to address that is going in and hand planting uh, those areas uh, in, in the severe burn areas with seedlings that, that we hope will uh, you know, basically get a boost, get a toehold, and create that next, uh, that next generation. So it, it certainly, though, at the ecosystem level and, and thinking about old growth sequoia groves, uh, you know, those, those at least on a, on a, on a shorter term basis are irreplaceable. It, it, it takes, you know, thousands of years uh, uh, to, uh, for a grove like that to, to return uh, after having this kind of, a, of an intense fire uh, run through it. 
but we have to we have to continue to be hopeful. As Christy said, we need to band together and do everything we can, not only to recover the groves that did burn severely, but perhaps more importantly, to make sure that we're doing all we can to in, increase the resilience of those groves that did not burn in the face of what we know what we know are going to be future fires. Joseph writes, I grew up near Kings Canyon National Park, and I've spent much of my life around these beautiful trees. I'm saddened to hear this news, although it's not a surprise. The landscape has been drying out for decades. While these trees have evolved with fire, how much longer can they survive without enough water? Christy? That's a, that's a great question, and one that we continue to study, and there is not a definitive answer. But I will say these trees are tough. And although the 2012 to 2016 drought was unprecedented in terms of how hot it was and how little water, the trees did fared quite well during that time. Many showed no signs of stress and some um, actually that were stressed dropped needles and then recovered. The, the thing to know about giant sequoias they're already in the wettest parts of the landscape because they use a lot of water, 500 to 800 gallons a day um, when it's hot because they're so tall and big and, and they need a lot of water. So they've already put themselves on the wettest part of the landscape. So I, I personally feel that the data points to if we can get our act together and manage these forests exactly as Paul said, to increase wildfire resilience. We are buying ourselves time to learn more about the longer term climate changes and address those changes. And these trees are tough. They, they're not gonna give up easily. So I personally have hope that they can persist if we can do our best in managing the forest. Let's hope that that hope is contagious among not only scientists, but across all of California. Um, we have been talking to Christy Brigham. She's head of resources and management at Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Parks and Paul Ringgold with Save the Redwoods League about the devastating news this week of many of our thousands of our giant sequoias that burnt from last year's wildfires. We'll be back soon. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We're talking about this week's devastating news that last year's Castle Fire destroyed about 10% of California's giant sequoias with Christy Brigham. She's head of resources management at Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Parks and Paul Ringgold with Save the Redwoods League. Danny tweets, tactically, what does managing for resilience mean? Is it controlled burns, land barriers, selective logging? Uh, Christy, Christy, can you help him out with the answer to managing for resilience? 
That is such a great question. And right now, given the urgency of the situation, I think the answer is let's use all the tools in the toolbox. And Danny has already identified some of those. Uh, prescribed burning in some areas will work and will um, achieve a lot of gains in terms of reducing fuels and increasing fire resilience. There are places, groves that are so remote and have so much fuel that that tool will not work right out of the gate. It won't be safe. And those are places where we might need to cut small trees that have grown in and pile those and burn them in the winter to reduce, um, reduce fuels. There are other places where we might have to look at other approaches. Um, we really are working with the Forest Service, Save the Redwoods League, all the Sequoia managers, um, the Thule River Tribe to look at our groves and ask what can we do in these places to reduce fuels and increase forest health. Do we have the resources to get the job done or is there, do we have funding issues here and resources that we can't get out there to do it? I mean, is there forest, should we be doing more or are we doing what we can? We are doing a lot um, and I'm going to hand this off to Paul, um, but we're doing a lot, but with more resources, we could do more. And, and Paul, you want to say a little more? Yeah, thanks, Christy. I, I think it's safe to say that that the resources available right now are really a drop in the bucket in, in the face of the challenge that we have ahead of us. And so uh, while I think the last few years, in particular last year, uh, the results of, of those fires in California has certainly served as a wake-up call. And we've seen that you know uh, uh, manifest itself in, in increased funding allocated towards this work. There's just, there's so much to do. Uh, to reach out to legislators, both at the state side and the federal side, to continue advocating for more funding and perhaps also a, a reallocation of funding uh, that that is focused on pro preventive uh, preventive kinds of man management activities. Um, while it's clearly important that we that we maintain a strong budget for uh, fire suppression, particularly in areas where there are human lives and property at stake. Uh, it just, it, it's so necessary for us to be shifting and focusing the, the funding that we have to the kinds of preventative measures that uh, Christy was just describing. Uh, and that's certainly the role, one of the roles the league plays in a nonprofit partner is to advocate uh, for more funding, uh, and we would certainly encourage uh, listeners, our supporters, to reach out and uh, talk with their you know, their legislators and advocate for the, the the dire need of funding, as well as policies. Uh, I think there, you know, it's clear that that there are policy changes that we can implement that would allow for more effective and expeditious treatments uh, of these areas. That's one of the big challenges we face. It's we 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 get ready to do the work and. There are uh, a number of challenges that we have to overcome in order to even get it started in the form of uh, you know, various regulations that, of course, are, are well-intentioned. Uh, and you know, we want to try to just adapt those to make them even more effective in the face of the challenges that we have in this, in this situation. Well, Brad from Vallejo has a good question. Brad, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was just curious what 10% meant. I mean, how many trees, how many sequoias are there? How many acres of sequoias? I, I, I'm having trouble visualizing the devastation. Christy, go ahead there. 
That's a great question. And it really is hard to visualize um, unless you're on the ground looking at it. But to answer your question, um, our current estimate, and this is an estimate because we haven't mapped all these trees, which is crazy, but anyway, is that there are about 75,000 large sequoias four feet in diameter um, in the whole range. And that's about 28,000 acres. Um, so 10% of that has been lost. So we, we estimate about 72 groves or so. So real losses and a very small number of these groves and these old trees to begin with. Let's go to George from Fairbanks. George, go ahead. Uh, this is George from Fair Oaks. Um, I was at Calaveras Big Trees last weekend, and uh, these trees grow in a, um, a, a very specific type of location. There's a water basin for the water underneath, and there's a basin for the treetops being protected from high winds. So if we're going to lose the southern range of the Sequoia Gigantea, is there any... Uh, is there any uh, plan to uh, move further north? For example, out of Forest Hill, there's a tiny grove of non-performing trees, trees that are sterile, uh, increasing the size of that grove and going further north to similar basins where the trees can be uh, introduced. I'll take my answer off the air. Christy, comment there? Yeah, that is a great, George, you've clearly spent a lot of time with these trees and your observations are right on. We don't know. Um, they do need very particular environments and we are working together with other scientists across the range right now to look at good habitat upslope. So moving up into similar areas, meadows and basins that might be cooler and wetter in the future and looking at Northern locations. We're really in the investigative part of that right now. Well, I really appreciate both of your time and, and what you're doing out there to try to save these beautiful, majestic groves. I, Like I said, they're kind of a spiritual place for me to go and relax. So thank you so much. Christy Brigham is Head of Resources and Management at Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Parks. And Paul Ringgold is with the Save the Red, excuse me, Paul Ringgold is with Save the Redwoods League. Thank you again, both of you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, you too. And thanks to your listeners for caring about these trees. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.